We're spending a couple weeks as a family um, talking about uh, just what it looks like to exist in this context, in this gathering, in this body. Uh, last week, um, and just based off of the conversations I had after last week, was a timely reminder for what it means um, for us to exist in this body uh, and be unified in this body. We talked about how Jesus' command, um, he said, a new command I give you, love one another, and it is by our love that we have for other members of the Christian faith, uh, but more importantly uh, than that, other members of like the faith family that is Jesus' followers. Uh, it's probably a better way of putting that. Uh, it's by our love for one another um, that people will see that and go, oh, I, I recognize God in the midst of that. And how Jesus' command for us was uh, like missiological at its core, that, um, that we're supposed to be about, as Jesus people, we're supposed to be about making disciples. And so our unity that we live in is of utmost importance to God, and therefore it should be of utmost importance to us. So Jesus gave us a, a toolkit, a, a playbook for what that looks like, and we talked about how we are committed to as a faith family, as a gathering of Jesus followers that happens to gather under the banner of Connection Church. We're committed to handling conflict as Jesus lays out in Matthew 18, because unity is important to us. Uh, not uniformity, not that we all have to have the same likes, preferences, and desires, but that a Above all of those likes, preferences, and desires, that Jesus is the thing that glues us together. And because Jesus is the thing that glues us together, when there is conflict, we committed to you going to the person in private to discuss the problem. Why? For the purpose of reconciliation. You go to the person in private, for the purpose of reconciliation. We're not, we're not doing things where we're having conversations in the lobby and over Facebook, and uh, we, we're, just, we're, we're handling conflict like Jesus tells us to handle conflict because unity matters to God, and therefore it matters to us. We're going to do it in a timely manner. We're not going to let things fester and build uh, for months at a time, even weeks at a time. We're going to handle conflict, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's hard. We're going to do it because it matters to God, and because it matters to God, it matters to us. So this week... <coughs> Uh, is our last stopping point before uh, we embark next week on a long journey through the Sermon on the Mount together, which I'm just thrilled about. Um, I mean, I get to preach sermons about a sermon, and it's going to be, I'm, I'm jazzed about it. I'm excited. I think I've probably, if we went back and looked through the records, I've probably said that about every series we've undertook together. It's probably my wiring. I don't know, but uh, I'm excited about it. But before we do that, uh, we're going to continue talking about body life and what it looks like to live together. And there's a simple premise that uh, I remember the first time Amanda and I uh, came to 2915 Townway Road and met with the search committee. I remember Hannah Johnson asking a question, and I, I'm going to be honest, I don't remember what the question was, but I remember responding to it because it's something that Amanda and I had been thinking through uh, fairly recently, and so it was just it was timely that we were able to discuss it in that context. And it was something along the lines of like my view of, of like philosophy of ministry, church, that sort of thing. 
And, and here's the premise, here's what I said, and here's the premise I want to lay out for us uh, this morning as we, uh, as we kind of walk through what it looks like for us to all be involved together, okay? The simple premise was that uh, my belief is that a church, a community, a gathering of Jesus followers should be all of us, all in, for all the world. That was my answer to Hannah's question. All of us, all in, for all the world. Let me say it one more time. All of us, all in, for all the world. Here's what I mean by that. All of us. Uh, if you are in uh, kind of the wings and you're just checking the Jesus thing out and you're trying to figure it out, listen, I want to make space for you to explore, for you to ask questions, for you. You're never going to have all the answers. Whatever the answers you're looking for, you're never going to have all of them. But I do want you to begin to work down, like, what does this mean? What does Jesus mean to the world today? And so uh, when I say all of us, I mean all of the people who have raised their hands entered the waters of baptism, who have said, yes, I am a Jesus follower. I am committed to living my life by Jesus' commands, by Jesus', uh, the things he asked me to do, the way he asked me to live. Uh, that Everyone who raises their hand and says, that's me. That's what I mean by all of us. And so uh, that can seem like a blanket statement, but what I'm getting at is the people who are saying, I want to be faithful to following Jesus, all of us, all in. I don't know how much more explaining I need to do with that. I mean, all of us, all in, like in, in totality, the entirety of our lives. Uh, just before this section of Scripture we're going to read today in Hebrews 12, it gets done talking in Hebrews 11 about all the people who have lived faithful lives of following God and displayed this miraculous thing of faith. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, because uh, of all the people that we've seen, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Meaning, uh, there is not an ounce of your life untouched by the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. There is not, you can't, you can't separate uh, part of your life into this is the portion of my life that's going to follow God, and this is the portion of my life that I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to run my business. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to have my family. And yeah, there might be a little bit of intersection between them, but that's not the reality that we live in. Psalm 24 says that the earth's is the Lord, and if you want to go back a couple translations with me, the earth's is the Lord and the fullness therein of it. In totality, it's all God's. And so there is no partial surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I've given the example before of uh, during the, uh, not Renaissance, the Crusades roughly the same time. During the Crusades, uh, these warriors would go and they'd want to enter into the waters of baptism before they would go into battle thinking, I might die during this battle and so I might as well be baptized. And so they'd go and they'd dip themselves, uh, they'd, get, they'd get dunked uh, by, by the priest, by the pastor, and they'd un, uh, submerge themselves into the water, everything except their sword. Because 
They, they wanted to say, this is not going to be a weapon of godliness. This is not, there's going to be some pretty horrific things that happen with this, and there's just no possible way. I want to be able to do what I want to do with this sword. I want to be able to scourge people. I want to be able to kill people. I want to be able to do all these things. And, and so that's just a picture of what happens in our lives so often that we undergo partial surrender to the lordship of Jesus. But the thing about the lordship of Jesus, it is an all-consuming fire. There is no portion of our lives untouched by the mercy and the grace and the reality of the gospel. And so when we surrender to the gospel of Jesus, we surrender everything, all of it, the entirety of our lives, meaning we surrender our finances, we surrender our time, we surrender our family, we surrender our neighbors, we surrender our occupation and our vocation, we surrender our free time. We say, God, I want you to have all of it. All of it. All of us, all in, for all the world. Here's what I mean by for all the world. Um, it's a big world. It's a big world. Spent three hours driving up to uh, Chicago for Hudson's birthday weekend uh, to do some fun stuff. That's three hours and we stayed inside the same state. I'm pretty sure if you go to Texas, you can drive 11 hours and still be in Texas. Like, it's, it's a big, big country we live in. Our country is not even the majority of the earth that we live on big. And as Jesus followers, God is inviting us into his grand mission of redemption, not just for me, not just for you, not just for us, but for all the world. All the world. Every people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every person is being, being invited to be restored back to life and brought back into right relationship with God. And for some reason, this infinite God that had to go about the business did it lovingly, did it willingly, but still had to go about the business of reconciling mankind to himself because we dropped the ball so many times, because we sinned, because our best attempts fell short of God's perfect standard. For some reason, that very same God invites you and I into the process of restoration and redemption and reconciliation for the entire world. Now, it could seem like a daunting task, but my, my, my premise in saying for all the world is that not a single one of us is going to be able to engage in the entirety of this mission. It's not possible. It is not possible for Amanda and I to invite every family in Vermilion County over to dinner because it's a never-ending cycle. It is not possible for uh, the chapels and the Novachiks to do that. It's not possible for, for the, the chapels and the Novachiks and the Reynolds and the Nardonis to do that. It is all of us, 
all in for all the world, meaning every part of the world that your life interacts with and touches is a part of God's plan and mission of reconciliation and redemption, and he's asking you to engage in it. And so, yes, there might be some of us in this space here and now. I believe it. We see it in the New Testament. I'm believing the best for it. It might be young people that are being raised up. It might be a second career in retirement for you who are being raised up and called to go live cross-culturally in another country somewhere for the sake of God's kingdom. I believe that with my whole heart, but also at the same time, that is not the, the, by itself the grand mission of redemption. God is wanting to reconcile and redeem all that we come in contact with tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. He wants all of it. That's the basic premise I'm setting out before us today, is that I want to see all of us all in for all the world, that we might engage in God's mission of redemption. But here's what I know. I talked about this when I said I can't do this on our own. This is a Herculean task. This is a lot to bear. Dave Ramsey has a book called Entree Leadership. Uh, it's, it's leadership, entrepreneurship, whatever. But he gives an illustration in there that I think's uh, really good. I wish, I wish, uh, I know there's sickness going around the house. I wish the Spregs were here today to be able to fact check some of this with Jeremiah. But largest horse in the world, or one of the largest uh, horses in the world, is called the Belgian Draft Horse. Think like Clydesdales, but a little bit bigger from what I reckon. Massive, okay? These massive horses who are, who are as I'm assuming, this is where the phrase like workhorse comes from, like they are a workhorse because they are just used to pull and to drive and to do all of this really, really heavy uh, weight. By themselves, they can pull 8,000 pounds. That's four tons. Yes, that's four tons. Uh, not a math expert by any means, so I wanted to fact, my, fact check myself there. Four tons by themselves, 8,000 pounds. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going to go out on a limb because I'm not the math expert. <coughs> you put two of them together, how much can they pull? Anybody? Six to... <laughs> I tell you, these young people, the future is bright. 16,000 pounds. I hate to do this to you, but that's not right. (laughs) You would think you put one horse that can pull 18,000 pounds, next, or 8,000 pounds. (laughs) We're already struggling with math here. (laughs) You put one horse that can pull 8,000 next to another horse that can pull 8,000. You would think they'd be able to pull 16,000 pounds, but get this. There's something, there's a phenomenon, (laughs) yeah. There's a phenomenon known as Belgian synergy is what they call it. You put two horses next to each other that are complete strangers to each other, and together they can pull up to 24,000 pounds. So we go from 8,000 pounds and 8,000 pounds individually. Then when they're working together, using what they have, driving in the same direction after the same goal, they can pull 24,000 pounds. But get this. Those are two strangers. They talk about how if there's two Belgian draft horses that are raised together and they know each other, they're familiar with each other, they've gotten used to working together, Research says that they can pull up to 32,000 
pounds. <coughs> Church, we desperately, desperately, desperately need one another. That all of us can be all in for all the world, working towards the same end. And that as a church, here's what this illustrates for us. As a church, as a body of believers, we are more than the sum of our parts. Jesus was having an interaction with his disciples. And they were like, "This is like the stuff you're doing is really, really amazing. And Jesus says, you will be able to do greater things than even this. This church is a verse that has stopped me in my tracks multiple times because I wrestle with the theology of it. I wrestle with the great, greater things than, than Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, living in flesh here on earth. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that reality, uh, I, I'm in fact very much uncomfortable with that premise that we can do greater things than this. But I think here's what Jesus is getting at, and I, we can't avoid it. It's literally Jesus' words. We have to do something with it. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. He's talking to a group of his followers. And I believe that because we are more than the sum of our individual parts, that when we are a church faithfully committed to following God and faithfully committed to life together, this is when we are able to do the 24,000, 32,000 pound pull uh, that we're able to do more collectively than we are individually. <clears throat> we see we desperately, desperately need one another. And we need one another for a couple of reasons. Amanda and I talked about this often this week because a lot of times when you talk about spiritual gifts and when you talk about the need for community, there is, especially from, from pastors and especially in myself, there's an inherent uh, lean to like, uh, let's talk about how I can get you plugged in and serving here at Connection. And I want that. I want to be clear. I want that. I want that for all of us. There are so many ways that we can get plugged in and we can serve. We can serve in children's ministry. We can serve in student ministry. We can help make coffee. We can make others feel welcome. We can invite one another over for show hospitality and, and practice, uh, practice grace and mercy to one another. But uh, I, I want us to also be clear that there's a, an essence that God has given us stuff that's not just for this space. So we need each other for community. We need each other for community. And inside community, if you break that down a couple more ways, we need each other for community because we need each other for encouragement. There are moments in our lives that are, I've talked about it before, but there, there's backpack moments and there's boulder moments. And backpack moments are the ones that each of us have to deal with, and everyone's got them. And it's like, today was a rough morning, or my kid disobeyed today. And it's just, there's things that are just hard, and everyone has them. And you throw them on your back, and you go, this is not fun to carry, but everyone's carrying them. But then there's also boulder moments. And boulder moments are the ones where you go, this is literally not possible for me to walk through and carry on my own. There's a giant boulder sitting up here, and I was expected to just go through life trying to lug that around. It would be all-consuming if I would be even able to pick it up. 
So we need each other for encouragement because there's moments that we just can't possibly get through if it is up to us and us alone. We also need each other for accountability because uh, I am a better Jesus follower, however you want to quantify that. I am a better Jesus follower because people along the way have leaned into my life and said, hey, make sure you watch this area of your life. Make sure you're careful with how you're pursuing God in this area. Make sure you don't let sin creep into this area. We need each other for encouragement and accountability. The way I like to think about it is joys are multiplied and burdens are divided. We all share in one another's life. We talked about this last week. We are, uh, we are a single unit made up of a bunch of different members. So we need each other for this community. But then we also need each other for, for mission because what I talked about before, not a single one of us can establish God's kingdom on our own. It takes all of us doing our part engaging in the God's grand mission of redemption, engaging in gospel work in our everyday lives. <clears throat> all of us, all in for all the world. <clears throat> so there's an expectation when we gather together that we are not passive observers of both what happens in this space and what God is wanting to do in our midst. But that when we come to the table, when we've surrendered ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, when we've said, yes, I want to follow you, there's an expectation that we are contributors. Contributors. That every single one of you, regardless of your background, regardless of your family history, regardless of your education, regardless of your experiences, regardless of your familiarity with the Bible, that every single one of you has something to offer to the group. That not one of us is more valuable, because I get up here almost every week and open God's word and preach, it's not a more valuable or less valuable I'm not more valuable than the rest. All of us are bringing what we have to the table together, saying, God, this is the best of what I have, and I'm offering it to the body of believers. I'm offering it to you, asking that you will do something with it. We are contributors. Let's look real quick in Romans 12. Uh, we read some of this last week as we talked about unity. For by the grace given to me, I say to, everyone, you, uh, to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has a body with many members, so and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Paul paints a picture here to the church in Rome 
uh, of the reality of what this gathering looks like. We talked about last week, uh, the largest living organism in the world is a stand of uh, aspen trees that takes up about 110 acres. And that these aspen trees, called pando, have a shared root system. And so in the 110 acres, all these aspens you see uh, sprouting up are all inherently connected to one another. <clears throat> and then we see this reality lived out. Paul gives us an example. We see this reality lived out in the fact that we are uh, one body. So he talks about this gathering, and then the other gatherings we're connected to here in Danville and Vermilion County, and then around the world, that we are one body with many members. Just like I standing before you am one body with many members. Now, if you asked me what body part do I want to lose the most, I'm not going to answer you. I like all of them. And in fact, the, the moment you begin to like remove parts, you begin to realize how much you appreciated those other parts of your body. And this is the example Paul is giving for us for what it looks like to exist in this community. We come to the table with different backgrounds. We come to the table with different experiences. We come to the table with different giftings and wirings. But the reality is that we all come to the table bringing something. And that he says, each member belongs to one another. Uh, we all have given ourselves to the Lord, and therefore we've given ourselves to this community of Jesus followers for both community, encouragement, and accountability, and mission. And in doing so, we all bring to the table these individual wirings and giftings that God has given us. And I think the downfall for us would be to look at this list or the list in Paul's letter to the Corinthians or the Ephesians and say that is in totality the inventory that God has given us. These are the spiritual gifts that we get to choose from. And then so I'm going to see which one is the best fit for me and then I'm going to make that work. Listen. I think they are scripture. It's not I think they are. That's, they're, in, they're in the scripture, okay? But I think we would be remiss to view them as this isolationist. These are the only uh, spiritual gifts that we can have. Because I have seen people live out their uh, gifts in a flourishing way that's God-honoring in such a way where you go, I don't know how to categorize that inside of what Scripture gives us, but that is evident that God has given you that. It's evident that that gifting that you are operating is from the Lord. And so uh, we'd be remiss to, the, to just line up all of the spiritual gift inventories from around Scripture and go, okay, now I'm going to start throwing darts and figure out which ones do I have. Listen, you know yourself. You, you, you have conversations with yourself daily, hourly, minute by minute. You know yourself. You know the things that you're good at. What if instead of trying to go, ah, I don't really know what my spiritual gifts are, I don't really know how God's wired me, what if instead you go, this is something God made me really good at, and this is not in a prideful way, this isn't an acknowledgement that this is a good gift of God's grace, and I'm going to use this good gift of God's grace for the glory of the God and establishment of his kingdom and working towards his mission of redemption and reconciliation. 
Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip the people for the works of service. And here's what he's saying. And so he's saying he gave different people these different administrations, these different giftings, these different wirings. And here's what he says. So that the body of Christ may be built up. So that the body of Christ may be built up. The purpose of you and I receiving these spiritual gifts, which if you have surrendered yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, every single one of you and I have a gift that God has given us. He's made us spectacular at something. But he's made us spectacular at something. He's made us really, really good at some stuff so that the body of Christ may be built up. He's made, us, he's made us really, really good at stuff so that we might see the church, meaning God's kingdom being established through his people, established and built up to be encouraged, to be sent out on mission, to be held accountable, to do all of these things. He's given you these things so that we might do something with them. I told this story the last time I went through it, but if you weren't here, this will be new to you. <clears throat> There's an old folk tale uh, about a village that um, was wanting to have this really big festival and celebration. And so a- as a part, um, the, the mayor of the town said, hey, we're going to have this giant vat of wine. And I, so I want everyone to go into their house and to bring the best, the best, best uh, bottle of wine you have. Give, give me the best. This is, we're celebrating something big. Give me the best of what you got, and, and we're all going to put it in this big vat together, and, and the thought process is that if we all give the best of what we have, um, that the, the product, the sum of it, is going to be the most incredible thing ever. And so, day of the festival arrives, and everyone uh, wants to flaunt the thing that they have, and they're bringing their bottles together, and they all pour them in the vat together, and, and what is being mixed is, in theory, this beautiful, with all of these complex flavor profiles and all this stuff, and everyone's so excited to try it. And so everyone dumps their bottles in, and... Um, then the, the mayor goes off uh, over and to the spigot and, and pours out the first, first glass. And guess what comes out? Water. Water. See, every single person, can't see through a wine bottle, every single person thought to themselves, I don't have to bring the best of what I have. Everyone else's gifts Everyone else's contributions are going to cover up for the things that, uh, like, surely if we have 50 bottles of wine in here, one, you're not going to notice one bottle of water. But the problem was, every single person thought that way. Every single person said, I'm going to let the community uh, kind of mask over my half in, half out. I'm going to let the community mask over the fact that uh, I'm not all the way in. I'm, I'm not really sure about this whole thing. I'm going to let the community cover up for my uninvestment. Brothers and sisters, how often do you and I not bring the best of what we have simply out of a lack of surrender or a laziness or, or an unab- inability to go to like want to be a part of God's grand mission of redemption? 
We bring the worst of what we have to the table, assuming that, well, surely, uh, surely someone else is going to cover for me. When you signed up, I understand sign up is probably the wrong terminology. When you said yes to a life of following Jesus, you said yes to a life of surrender. You said yes to a life of sacrifice. You said yes to a life of giving what God has given you back to him. If you look at the book of Genesis, when when God was instituting his people, he went to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that what? Does anybody know? I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm giving to you so that you can be a conduit of my grace and my mercy and my love for the entire world to see and experience. God has given freely to us. He's given us all things. There is no better thing that we can find than God. And all he's asking is to say, then turn around and and show that same thing to others. I'm blessing you to go be a blessing. Go and offer. Go and give. Go and take the best of what I've given you and, and, and just give it for the world. Give it for the establishment of my kingdom. Give it for the building of the body. All too often, I think we come to the table just like the people at the village, we come to the table with this idea that God operates in an economy of lack. In a finite economy. And I don't just mean monetarily. I mean we we come to the table going, God, I don't know if I have enough energy this week to show hospitality to someone and and express gospel-centered hospitality to someone. That's terminology of a, of a finite economy. That God doesn't own the cattle on a thousand hills. That, that the same uh, spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead isn't renewing us day by day. We're scared that when we bring what God has given us to the table and we offer it, that it's not going to be replenished with something else. Brothers and sisters, let me, let me pull back the curtain a little bit on the God that we serve. He knows no bounds. He knows no ends. There is no, uh, no bottom to his well of giving. He will never run dry. You cannot either financially or with your gifts, talents, and abilities, you can never outgive God. I'm really grateful uh, in my office, uh, my Grandpa Schaff, mom's dad, uh, last time we were over at his house, was doing the grandfatherly thing of, hey, I'm, I'm preparing for some final days here. Why don't you take some of my stuff with you? And, uh, and so Grandpa gave me uh, one of his Bibles and one of my grandma's Bibles, which I'm really, really grateful for, uh, just the legacy of faith. And one of the things that he, one of the capacities that he served in this church was uh, he gave a ton of offering meditations. And so he's got all these notes in the Bible of these like, little lessons that he did. And time and time again, this was the reminder from my Grandpa Schaff, you can't outgive God. Whatever you're bringing to the table, if you feel like you're giving a little bit of yourself, I, I just want to encourage you that God is enough to fill the void that that creates in your life, and then some. 
If you feel like you don't have the capacity or you feel like you don't have the energy or you feel like you don't have the resources, just let me encourage you and let me challenge you. Try God. Just try. See what happens. See what happens when you're like, I want, I'm really good at showing hospitality to people. My grocery budget, it just, I don't have enough to go around. So if we invite this family over for groceries, uh, we, like, or if we invite this family over for Nobody invites families over for groceries. <laughs> for groceries. If I ever invite you over and just come in and there's Walmart bags laid on the table. I guess we're friends at that point, but also please help me put it away. If you feel like your grocery budget is stretched far too thin, but you feel like God has made you great at practicing hospitality, just test God on this. Say, I'm going to invite them over, and I'm going to say, uh, come, I'm going to prepare a great meal for you. We're going to have gospel-centered conversation. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to challenge each other. It's going to be beautiful. And I, I just, I believe God on this. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when there is enough to go around. Watch what happens when you give the best of what you have, and God is honored because, uh, because he shows up in your life time and time again. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close out our time kind of like we did uh, last week uh, with a little bit of conversation, a little bit of prayer. And here's the, uh, here's the question uh, I want you to answer, and then I want you to pray towards this end. So if you're comfortable, I'd love for you to get in groups of two, three, four, five, six. I, again, I say it often. You're adults. I trust you. Uh, get in small groups and answer this question if you're comfortable. And then, uh, and then maybe one or two of you are in your group. Pray for this to be established in your hearts. Answer this question. What has God made you best at? What has God made you best at? Do you know what I love doing? I love taking uh, the truths of Scripture and pointing a way forward and saying, this is how we can live this out. I feel like that's one of the things that God has made me best at, both from this context and the context of like one-on-one discipleship and smaller groups. You know what God's made Amanda best at? Amanda is quite possibly the most compassionate person that I've ever met. She's able to identify when people are hurting and struggling, when just need a hug. If you've ever received Amanda a hug, they're one of the best on the planet. I might be biased in that, but God's made her great at that. So answer the question, what has God made you best at? And then pray towards the end of how might you be inviting me, God, to use that to establish your kingdom and to build your body. When you're done praying, you are dismissed to go in the grace of Jesus and the love of the Father and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start us out uh, by praying for us, getting your small groups, spend a couple moments discussing, pray over it, and then you're dismissed to go. Father, we are grateful that you are a good gift giver that we have everything that we need when we place ourselves in you. So God, forgive us in the moments when uh, we maybe fall short. Forgive us in the moments when uh, we hoard what you've given us, both in gifts and resources. And will you allow us then, Lord, to, um, to give freely, just like you've given to use the giftings and the wirings, the personality bends, all of that, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you, to build your kingdom and to build your church. So as we discuss this, we surrender ourselves to you, asking that you'll work in and through us. And we ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Take a couple moments, discuss. Once you're done, you're dismissed to go.